This uh, Gospel of Mark, as Mark gives us just the short version of the life of Jesus. Um, where we left off last week, at the end of chapter 4, Jesus had told his disciples they needed to go across the Sea of Galilee. And they got in a boat and began to head across from Capernaum over towards Gadara. And as they were in the boat, the waves were splashing over the side. The disciples thought they were going to die. And they cried out to Jesus, who was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. As it seems like so often when we think we're about to die, seems like God's asleep. And Jesus got up, rebuked them for their lack of faith, calmed the storm. And they were kind of amazed. Well, now when we come to chapter 5, we see why Jesus told them, let's head across the Sea of Galilee, because they made this journey, this dangerous trip in a little boat, in order just for him to meet one particular person. And we'll see, we'll meet that person here in chapter 5. But the thing that Mark lays out for us in chapter 5, he shows Jesus helping three different people, and they're all people in one way or another who no one else could help or even would help. And we see Jesus reaching out and touching the untouchable, touching those that you would write off as being completely without hope. The first one comes up here in the beginning of chapter 5. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, that is Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. The tombs over there aren't like a nice, peaceful graveyard. The tombs are basically little caves that they dig in the side of the cliffs. And there by Gadara, there are steep cliffs near the, near the coastline. And when people were died, they would be shoved in these little holes in the rocks. Coming out of the hills, a pretty intimidating place, is this guy that Jesus traveled across the Sea of Galilee because he wanted to meet this guy. He was a legend, but he was real. And it says, when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy, this complete, out-of-control lunatic, and he had, because of the demonic activity that was in him, he had these supernatural powers. But he was miserable. Every once in a while, somebody would try to get rid of him, and so they'd clunk him on the head with a rock or whatever, knock him out, chain him up, and as soon as he came to, he'd just break the chains. This was one bad guy who, from the neighborhood, you'd hear the, at night howling from the, from the graveyard, from the, echoing through those canyons, this horrible screaming noise from this guy who was being tormented by demons, and he wanted to destroy himself. He was cutting himself up. But here was this guy who, for everyone else, they just considered him a monster, they considered, you know, we tried to help him, but he's just this powerful, I mean, think like all of the most 
you know, to think like Kimbo Slice and Tank Abbott and all these guys, you know, put Rampage Jackson all put together and like, ah, just miserable, horrible, hating their own existence and, and being tormented by demons. And I see like five guys going, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> got to get the ultimate fighting reference in. But um, this is who this guy was. Everyone had given up on him. There was no family who was trying to help him. How could you even get him help? He was out of control. But Jesus came looking for him. And as he was crying out, Jesus came near, and the guy came running and worshiped Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. He was torn. This guy, on the one hand, deep down inside, so desired to be set free. And he bowed down and really wanted to worship God, but at the same time, these demons are ripping at him and telling him, you know, no, he's just going to make you miserable. An awful, creepy, scary scene. And yet, there was Jesus. And Jesus had told them, come out of the man, unclean spirit. There in verse 8. Now, usually when Jesus told the demon to come out, they just came out and everything was fine. But this was a tough case. We've seen other tough cases that with Jesus. Remember the guy that the disciples tried to cast the demons out of the guy and they couldn't do it. And then Jesus did it and said, this kind doesn't come out except by much prayer and fasting. Well, this one was tough too because as he had told them, you know, to, to come out, that's when he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And then he spoke to the, he addressed the demon itself, and he said, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion was a group of Roman soldiers. There would usually be between two and 5,000 soldiers. And so this demon is saying, there are thousands of us in here. Oh, <laughs> you know, wait a minute now. What are we, uh, guys, get the oars. <laughs> you know, let's head back across the sea. But Jesus didn't have that reaction. He's, whether it's thousands, we don't know that there were thousands of demons. At least there was a demon that was pretending like there are thousands. Demons lie a lot, just like Satan does. But at any rate, this is what they said. And because of what happens next, you get the idea that perhaps they were telling the truth. So he begged him, begged Jesus earnestly that he wouldn't send them out of the country. Over in Luke 8, where the same story is, um, it says that they didn't want to be sent to the abyss. The abyss is a place that God has prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a bottomless pit of horror that ultimately they will be cast into. And so apparently the demons wanted to stay in that area. Hey, let us possess somebody else. It seems that biblically that demons have some sort of geographic centrality to them, locational responsibilities or whatever within the demonic hordes. And, and so here they were saying, don't torture us, don't throw us out, please don't send us to the abyss. Not denying his power, and they knew. When Jesus shows up, demons are done. 
You know, it's all over when that happens. In the same way that when someone has truly confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and received him, there isn't any way that demons can still stick around. Demons can't stick around when Jesus is there. <clears throat> but they were throwing a fit and raising a fuss about it. And it says right nearby, there was a herd of swine, a large herd of swine feeding there near the mountains. Now, the Jews shouldn't have had pigs there. The only thing you have pigs for is to eat bacon and ham. And they were forbidden to eat it, and they were forbidden to even be around pigs. It was the lowest of the lows, but here they were in this country and in Israel raising pigs. And uh, so all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, there are a lot of people who are really upset about this part of the story. How could Jesus hurt these innocent pigs? You know, not realizing that, man, one guy is having his life given back to him. 2,000 ham sandwiches are going in the water. Come on, where are your priorities, you know? Jesus, obviously, and I'm sorry, you know, I'm not saying that God hates animals, but comparatively, God would rather give life to one person than to see a whole bunch of pigs that shouldn't have been there in the first place to be there. So that happened, and they were afraid. Well, first of all, it's they, you know, after they drowned in the sea, verse 14, those who fed the swine... The swine ran away, told everybody in the city and country, and everybody came back out. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. How sad. That a guy who had been naked and nuts and dangerous and howling, screaming, miserable, trying to kill himself, now here he is, he's clothed and he's happy and he's having a conversation. His life has been revolutionized by a touch from Jesus, and these guys are more concerned about, oh, this isn't good. Those ham worth a lot. And Jesus, okay, you did this. We're not going to attack you, but could you just leave? Could you just get away? Often that is the response of people when they see Jesus working. You know, sometimes somebody's life's just been completely messed up, and, and God gets a hold of them, and it turns around, and it's just awesome. They're a completely different person. That which was, was miserable is now fulfilled and blessed, and people look at it, and they think, Uh, That's weird. And there are some people who are your friends who profess to love you, and yet when they see your life change, they don't want to be close to you anymore. They want to keep you at arm's distance. It's scary because everyone who is choosing to live a miserable life of their own, and they recognize they have their own sins, they're kind of intimidated and afraid by someone who can fix them. Because there are so many people who don't want to be fixed. It's why some of you probably before you came to Jesus, 
you were afraid to go to church. Somebody invited you to church, and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm going to come into church, and a bunch of people are going to jump on me and try to throw demons out of me. They're going to frisk me for cigarettes. They're going to, you know, do a, a blood alcohol test. They're gonna, it's going to be weird. People will be swinging from the chandeliers, rolling in the aisles. It's just, uh, you know, I'm afraid. Because if you know that you're not right, but you're really okay with that, you really don't want to get fixed, it's scary. The idea that that which you're hanging on to, your old lifestyle, even though you know it's not working for you, yet you're afraid of what might happen if you just give control of your life to Jesus Christ. And so they were afraid. Notice they had come to terms with having a crazy naked guy living down there by the sea. They just told their kids, stay away from the graveyard. When you hear the guy howling, get out of there. But here they are, and even the pigs are like, oh, we want to stay here. But, and they're okay with that. But when it comes to Jesus, they're like, could you just leave? Could you get out of here? Peter had that same attitude with Jesus one time when he was so freaked out when Jesus told them to throw the net on the other side of the boat and they caught all these fish, more fish than they had ever caught before. And Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me. Jesus, get out of here. I can't take this. I can't deal with this. So here, weird response to a guy getting his life back. Who knows what this guy's life was like before he did whatever he did that allowed his life to be opened up to thousands of demons. This doesn't just happen to you. This is someone who, for whatever reason, had probably just been getting deeply involved in the occult and inviting this, and here one of the worst cases of demon possession ever, and it was destroying his life, and now he's got his life back. He had such a lousy life that he was trying to kill himself, but he couldn't do it. Because when you have supernatural strength, you can hit yourself really hard, but you could take a punch pretty well too, so it's like... This is miserable. Now his life is back because of Jesus. And notice, when they told Jesus, why don't you go somewhere else? He got, verse 18, he got into the boat. And the guy who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, the ten cities there, all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. <laughs> Jesus doesn't save people so that he can get them to hang out with just the Christians. Let's all get together and build a bigger thing. When he changes our lives so often, he wants us to stay where we are and to tell people, look at the difference in me. I think a lot of times when people come to the Lord, they, we end up so, you know, emphasizing to them how important it is that they leave their ways of sin that they also lose their old friends and neighbors and everyone, and they just decide that now it's time to spend the rest of my life in a holy perpetual huddle, you know, just, you know. Jesus is like, no, man, you got, you got friends, go tell them. And what was the message to tell them? What great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. That's the message, the simple message that every one of us who have been delivered by Jesus Christ are commanded to take 
to those that we were associated with before we came to Christ, to let people know, hey, you knew me, but you know what? God loves me, and he had compassion on me. He understood. Nobody else was there trying to help. Nobody else was trying to reach me. They thought I was beyond hope, but he cared, and he came, and he changed my life, and he turned me around, and now I'm not miserable. I'm not dangerous. I'm not someone who's a pariah to society. I'm not living in the graveyard anymore. I have a life. And so Jesus here takes a guy that nobody else cared about. There's no record of his family. Oh, yeah, we've been praying for him. No, it was, it was just him out there in the graveyard. One of the Gospels, I think it's Matthew, mentions that there was another crazy guy, demonic guy out there also with him, but this guy was the worst. And Jesus delivers him and then hands him his life back and says, you stay where you are, but it's going to be different. It's not going to be the same anymore. Now, for us to see this picture, and a young guy like Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, you can see, I mean, Mark tells quick stories and uses the word immediately all the time. But he spent some time on this one because it's a pretty cool story. It's pretty scary, pretty spooky, and... You know, wow. So Mark goes into better, more details than the other Gospels do, certainly. But now we go from the guy that nobody wanted to help to somebody that everyone would naturally be compassionate toward. And it's a weird kind of contrast as we read on, and it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, he went back where he started, He had done what he came to do, take care of the guy in the graveyard. But a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. Now, You'd think this would be pretty exciting for Jesus, for one thing, because he had been trying to speak in the synagogues and share with the Jewish leaders. He was the Messiah that they were waiting for. And yet, mostly all they would do is argue with him, plot against him. He hadn't made an inroad, but it's ironic that now one of these Jewish religious leaders, when his precious little girl was in danger of dying, he was singing a different tune. And he was coming and bowing down before Jesus and and expressing faith. Jesus, I've seen what you do with those hands. If you would only bring those hands to my house and touch my little girl, then I know that you can keep her from dying. I know that you can heal her. I know you're the answer. And that was a big step. But, you know, who, anyone who has children can imagine how Jairus felt. He had probably gone and watched Jesus healing other people, and he'd try to come up with excuses how it probably wasn't real. He had heard Jesus teach and probably had theological reasons to reject what he was saying. But now, his precious little 12-year-old girl, you know, if you've only had boys, maybe you don't, you know, connect with this as much, but, and I only have boys. But I know how people are about their daughters, and it's something special. And now this one, 
is about to die. And so Jairus humbles himself and bows down to the guy that he really probably saw someone as a threat to his way of life. But all bets are off when the little baby is sick. And so he comes and he, he begs him to come and lay hands and to touch her. Now, you would think, okay, yeah, nobody's going to mess with the guy in a graveyard, some, you know, out-of-control ultimate fighter. But now, a little girl? Of course. Of course. The problem is, later on, we're going to see she dies. And now that does become a problem because they were forbidden to touch a dead body. That would make you unclean. But at this point, it sounds like a piece of cake. Jesus' timing is interesting in, in that he doesn't get there until the girl's already dead. Same way with his friend Lazarus. Jesus almost stalled so that he could get there after he was dead, not before. But Jesus says, sure. He went with him, verse 24, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Everybody wants to see a healing. This should be good. But now when the crowd's all crowding around, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now here's this lady that comes on the scene. And she had had these female problems that in their culture and according to the law made her unclean. It was one thing to have that, you know, periodic time when you were unclean. And, and I, I suppose there was some wisdom in the law of just saying, you know, there's a certain time when you just want to stay away from the women. But, you know, <laughs> imagine if that was all the time, if that was going on constantly. And for her, I mean, probably out of HMO because the doctors were just making it worse. <laughs> Sorry if you're a doctor. But I didn't say it. The gospel says it. She had suffered many things from many physicians. You know, the cure sometimes is worse than the disease. And she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Boy, how many people have been there? And this lady comes into the crowd. Now, she knew. She, she couldn't be around her own family. She couldn't be out in public. Anyone who would touch her would become defiled ceremonially. But she's sneaking up because she was thinking, you know, she said in verse 27, she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She thought, I won't touch him. I'll just touch his clothes. He'll never know. No one will ever know. And she had the faith to believe that just a touch of his clothes would heal her. And immediately, as she touched his garment, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. <laughs> Instantly better. Imagine going through this for 12 years, not only being completely alienated from everyone else, but being in a perpetual state of dehydration and malnourishment and everything else that would happen from that constant flow of blood. And now all of a sudden, for the first time, she felt better. She was like, whoa. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. Interesting. I don't know exactly how he felt it, but when she was healed, he felt something go out of him. 
And he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Oh man, now she's busted. She's trying to blend in with the crowd and, and he's like going, but everybody was, the disciples were like, what are you talking about? Who, who touched you? Everybody's, you know, bumping into you. His disciples said, why do you say who touched me? But he looked around to see her who had done this thing. He was looking from person to person until he looked at her. And it says that the woman, fearing and trembling, because you'd be stoned for doing something like this, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She could have made up an excuse, sorry, I might have bumped you, or yeah, I had a cold and I touched your garment and now I feel better. Hmm, thanks, you know. But she just goes, okay, here's the deal. 12 years, look at the medical bills. I've been to all these doctors. They just make me worse. Nothing helps. I'm losing hope. I miss my family. I know I'm not supposed to be here. I'm sorry, please. I'm just told the whole truth. By the way, that's what we call being saved. Coming to him and bowing down to his feet and telling him the whole truth. The Bible says that if we confess, that means say the same thing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's a scary thing to tell him the whole truth. It's a scary thing to let down all of your guards and just go, oh, here's the whole story. Here's who I am. But it's the smartest thing anyone could ever do. It's to fall at his feet and be honest with him and just pour your soul out and tell him the truth. She did that, and he said to her, daughter. Imagine. I mean, she was somebody's daughter, but she hadn't been able to be around her family. She may have been someone's mother, and yet she wouldn't be allowed to be near her own daughter. No one was claiming her as family. She was defiled. She had a condition that alienated her, that would put her completely away from everyone. And now this man who seemed like her only hope, her last hope, called her daughter. Oh, how that must have melted her heart. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He goes, you believed. And because of your faith, you're well. Now you can just go your way, and you can go back and live your normal life. <laughs> Amazing. What a contrast, though. A woman who had this condition for 12 years, a guy who for we don't know how long was living in utter misery, Jesus willing to reach out to both of them, those who no one else would reach out to, no one else could help, the doctors had already tapped out all their ideas and taken all of her co-payments, the other guy, they had chained him up, they had done everything they could do, it wasn't working, and yet you come in contact with Jesus Christ, you find out there's still hope. Now, as he is telling her this, verse 35 while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, and they said, your daughter is dead. 
Why trouble the teacher any further? Real diplomatic, you know. Oh, by the way, Jairus, your daughter's dead, so you don't need to bug Jesus anymore. How, how insensitive. But as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. He said four words that he spoke to him in the original. Don't fear, simply believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He goes, everybody else out of here. Took three of his disciples with him and Jairus. And they came to the house of Jairus, and they saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. Man, they were putting on a show. They were just, oh, it's all over now. She's died. And when he came in, he said to these people who were mourning so loudly, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but she's just sleeping. And these people who were so sad just turned on him. They ridiculed him. They went from mourning her to making fun of him. Oh, yeah, sure, she's just sleeping. Why don't you go wake her up then, wise guy? You're making it worse. Let us mourn. But when he had put them all outside, cleared the house out, except for the girl's mom and dad and the three disciples that he took with him, those who were with him and entered where the child was lying, then he took the child by the hand. Again, people would have touched her before she died. But once she died, you don't touch them anymore. That's it. Whoever touches her will be defiled. But he reached out and took her by the hand. And he said to her in Aramaic, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. He spoke to her and said, you can get up. And immediately, the little girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. In other words, you don't keep a 12-year-old down. When she got up, she was busy. She started moving. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. <laughs> He's like, she's hungry. She's been down for a while. She hasn't been feeling good. Fix her a sandwich. Kosher, please. <laughs> Notice that the woman who had the gynecological problems had been sick for 12 years. This little girl had been alive for 12 years. What a different experience those 12 years were. Jairus' daughter running and playing and enjoying life for him as a religious man, finding out, man, you have that little girl, it's just, there's nothing like it. She's the light of our life. She's the joy of our home. And, and now, all that time, this other poor woman who had a life before, was now miserable. Just going from doctor to doctor. You know how it is. when You're not getting good results from a doctor, and then there's like you know, 15, 20 people telling you about something they read on the Internet, or, oh, I heard of a guy over here, or I did, and you're trying all these stupid cures. And, and for her, 12 years of misery was, for this little girl, 12 years of joy. And yet, ultimately... 
for everyone, we will come to the point when our hope is gone. Something will come across our path that we just can't figure it out. We can't defeat it. We can't fix it. We can't write a check and make it better. Three people in this chapter that Jesus met who no one else could do anything about. One of them, because he was so dangerous, you know, you couldn't, Dr. Phil couldn't go out there in the graveyard and go, let's talk about this. No, guy beat him up. The woman, she had been to the doctors. She wasn't getting better. She had given up hope. She had lost basically her life as she knew it. And a little girl who everyone was pulling for, now she was dead. That's a serious condition. (laughs) What can we do? And yet into each of these lives steps Jesus Christ, who says, when everyone else gives up hope, believe in me. Believe me. I can handle it. I can do this. I have the power to restore. Now, you know, there are so many times when I've been in a situation that was hopeless, and I, and I thought, well, thank God Jesus can do something about this. And yet, he doesn't always. You know, he, sometimes our loved ones die, and he doesn't rise them back up. He did this for, for Jairus' daughter. He did it for Lazarus. He did it a few other times just to let us know Death is not the end. See, they're still here. They can still come back to life. For many of us, death will come to to all of us, really, unless the Lord returns first. But we're always touched by people we love, people who we would gladly exchange our life for theirs, who are taken away. And so often, at that point, we, we have no hope. But Paul said, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. See, for us, we understand death. It's not really death. It just looks like that. It's the doorway into real life. And that's why Jesus made such a point at Lazarus' funeral to say, hey, if you believe in me, you'll never die. This isn't as serious as you think it is. You would say, "Uh uh-oh, this person is dead. That's serious. He goes, that's nothing. I've conquered that. He went ahead and did it himself just to demonstrate it's not a problem. But here in these three lives, three hopeless conditions, Jesus Christ reached out and touched the untouchable. He reached out and and healed those who were beyond hope in order to let everyone know that it's all in his hands. That who he touches and has compassion on, he can do anything. Most of us, before we came to Jesus, we weren't living in a graveyard acting crazy. We maybe didn't have a medical condition that no one even knew how to treat. Most of us weren't physically dead. But spiritually, we were all bound by chains, by those spiritual burdens that were ripping us off, that were causing us to want to destroy ourselves. We were 
definitely sick in, in so many ways, and ultimately, as Paul would describe it, dead in our trespasses and sins spiritually. And he gave us life, and he's healed us, and it happens by faith. And here, as we see these three stories that meet in a short period of time, these three very different people who didn't know each other, but they demonstrate the depths of hopelessness. And Jesus Christ steps in with those hands of his, and he touches those no one else would touch. And he restores their lives and gives them hope. And that's what he's done for those of us who have accepted Jesus. And we have a life that no one can take away. But there might be people here today who've never even let him touch them. Maybe you've never had that experience of falling down on his feet and telling him the whole story, the whole truth, really coming clean with him. I would really encourage you to do it. Because you'll find Jesus isn't someone to be feared. He's someone to cling to. He will care for you like no one else can. He understands you like no one else does. And those of us who have given our lives to him, it's because we found that to be true. And if you haven't done that yet, today would be a perfect time to do it. Maybe you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you even feel like hurting yourself. Maybe you are living a life that is just getting worse. Maybe you are struggling with sickness and, and a body that's deteriorating. Or maybe someone you love has been taken away. Jesus wants to meet you where you are and give you hope and give you a future and touch you and, and heal you. And that's what these lives illustrate for us and represent. And people sitting all around you have found this to be true in our own lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being willing to touch people no one else wanted to touch. Lord Jesus, you were surrounded by people who wanted to touch you and wanted you to touch them, but how grateful we are that you went out of your way to touch those no one else would or no one else could. Lord, thank you for touching us, for giving us reason to believe reason to have hope, reason to have faith. And Lord, for the people who are here today who haven't been touched by you yet, and they're real jumpy, they don't like anybody touching them. They like to be left alone. They're uncomfortable even coming to church and hearing about things that, that might dig down deep within them. Lord, please help them to understand that your touch is a touch of compassion that you want to hear the whole truth, that you care about their story, and that with you, it's always, always a good ending. So Lord, please make yourself known to those who need to be known. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you are someone here today that you realize it's time for me to tell my story to someone who can help. And you're needing a touch from someone who can 
do what you need.